growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Are there certain things that we can be guilty of that would cause us to receive the judgment of God and it lead to death? Sin. Most of us understand what it is, and most of us understand that we are all guilty of sin. But when you know a brother or sister in Christ who has become entangled in sin, what should you do? John says, pray for them. Why? Because it is God's will that they come under conviction. It is God's will that they turn from sin. It is God's will that we repent and say, God, man, I messed up. God, would you forgive me? I want to turn away from that. Hello and welcome to another edition of Crosswalk. A moment ago, I asked the question, what should you do if you know of a Christian who is sinning? Hopefully, at least part of your answer would be to pray for them. But does God really hear those prayers? Today, we wrap up the book of 1 John in our series, The Am I Series. The last three weeks, we've been looking at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 5, where John discusses praying in God's will. Today, in verses 16 through 21, we're going to find, among other things, what seems to be a strange example of praying in God's will. John begins to discuss praying for a person guilty of sins that do not lead to death but not bothering to pray for someone guilty of sins that do lead to death. Just what exactly does John mean? What is sin unto death, and why does this just jump in there, all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere? It's certainly a difficult passage to interpret, but Pastor Clay is going to help us answer three questions that then should help us to interpret this text. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. going over it last night and looking at today, the, the more skeptical I was of getting through it all. But if Jesus tarries and he leaves me here for another week, uh, I, we will come back and do it again. Not next week, by the way. I need to say that. Uh, next uh, Sunday, Christmas Eve, December 24th, uh, I'll be bringing a, a specific uh, spe- Christmas message, uh, particularly for uh, Christmas season. And so, if you've been hesitant to bring your neighbors and your friends because, man, Pastor Clay's going through First John. He's going through First John. I didn't even know that book was in there. And if you've been hesitant to bring your friends, to next week is a Christmas message. Just come out and bring it. I hope you invite somebody to come and be a part of it with you and experience uh, just the Christmas season and all that kind of stuff. Let me also say this before we dive into the text in just a second. Last week, really the last three weeks, but last week, particularly in application, we were looking at some specific examples of, is it God's will? I asked you, I think, at least two questions. Is it God's will? And I gave you an example. Something had to do with salvation, something had to do with some other things. One of my examples I was not able to get to, and for us as a body, it's an important question, because one of the questions I was going to get to and deal with is, is it God's will that cross-culture church grow? That was one of the questions we were going to deal with last week in light of that passage in verse 14 and 15 where he says, uh, if, you, if you pray something that's in his will, you know he hears you. Y- y'all could repeat it yourselves. I've said it so many times, right? If you pray something's in his will, you know he hears you. And if you know he hears you, you know that you have what you ask for because it's in his will. And so one of the questions we were going to deal with, is it God's will for cross-culture church to grow? Ran out of time, didn't able to get to that. But I promise you, because we need to, because the first of the year is coming, we're going to dive into that question a little bit uh, in a week or two, uh, a couple of weeks, either the, the 31st or the week after that. We're going to look at that because some things I want to share with you, uh, some statistics I want to give you that hopefully will help you understand how the, the, 
why this is difficult, why it's difficult to, to keep a church moving in the right direction, keep it moving, growing, and how each of us are so vitally crucial to the success, to use that term, of, of what we can accomplish uh, in God's will. So I just wanted to let you know about that. Now, on to the text at hand. 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, which we probably will not get through all of it, but let me say this at the start. This is one of the most difficult passages of Scripture, uh, perhaps in the entire New Testament, to, to fully realize or understand the, the meaning of the text. It is a difficult text to know the proper interpretation to. Not because of the grammar that is used, not because it's difficult to understand the context, not because there are multiple variances in ancient manuscripts. No, the difficulty for us comes in the brevity of the statement that John makes, in the shortness or the brevity of the statement that he makes, which says to us that almost certainly the original hearers or readers of this letter of 1 John, the original recipients of this letter, must have known precisely what John was talking about because he is so brief in his discussion of it. But for those of us 2,000 years removed from when John penned this letter, when we read what we're about to read, we're like, what? Where did that come from? What does that mean? Have I piqued your interest? First John chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 21. Let me read the text to you, and then we'll just dive in, and we'll see how far we get with it today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, uh, for, for honoring God with your presence, and for your willingness and desire to open the Word of God. By the way, let me also say this before I read the text. I, I, I did want to say this as well. The fact that this passage is a difficult one to interpret. I want you to understand that no, no major doctrinal uh, area is necessarily dealt with here. There's no difficulty or, or problematic issue with, 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 uh, that this causes about our salvation or, or, or our relationship with God. So the fact that there is not a consensus on the interpretation of this text... I just want you to understand the fact that there's not a consensus on the interpretation of this text does not in any way cause Christianity to crumble as a result of, of this one passage of Scripture, okay? And believe me when I tell you there is not a consensus of interpretation on this text. I have read multiple commentators and all of them in some shape, form, or fashion have some varying degree of their understanding or their interpretation of this text. So, if your understanding of this text, as you read it, or maybe as you've read it in the past, or as you study, or perhaps as you will study it, because your curiosity will be piqued about it, if your interpretation or your understanding of this text is not the same as mine, get out. No, I'm, I'm just, just kidding. I'm not. I'm just kidding. If, if your interpretation does not line up with mine, it's okay. It, it's all right. No, no major doctrine. You understand what I'm saying? It's not, this is one of those issues that we can, uh, can say, you know, we can agree to disagree on this. All right? 
1 John chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Listen as John is winding up, literally winding up the end of this first letter. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Pray with me. Uh, Father God, again today as we dive into this uh, text, I'm praying for clarity, uh, for wisdom, Father, I I take my responsibility to honor you with the truth of your word very seriously, and I take the responsibility of trying to teach these people uh, the truth of your word uh, very seriously. And so, as best as I've been able to to study and and look at other paths of Scripture and and even think about the the nature and the character of who you are, God, I pray for wisdom and discernment on this today and and exactly what it means uh, for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me, let me start with uh, this idea uh, this morning. God is life and sin is death. Verses 16 through 19 or through 18, whatever all is in there that we'll unpack in just a moment. God is life and sin is death. Now, I will, I will explore uh, the application of that statement in a few moments, but as we get started, uh, I want to delve into this idea of sin not unto death and sin unto death. Now, let's be honest with you. Some, some uh, let's be honest. Some of you are like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, I don't. You know, I, I, I just, I got to pay my bills this week. I, I don't, I don't. But because I know that, that some of you really enjoy dissecting a text and examining a text and, and looking at, you know, meanings uh, that I think it's worth it to take some time and, and delve into this text. And so I'm going to ask you to really, to really think and, and to focus on this this morning. This is, in a sense, this is deeper diving uh, this morning, ladies and gentlemen, okay? So, uh, so bear with me as we're going through a lot of stuff that, that's like, what? Hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll get it. Some, somebody, should, somebody should title a book by that. I get it. Somebody should. I don't know. That was a shameless plug for my New York Times best-selling not book. Okay. Um, all right. It, it, here's a, sin, un, sin not unto death. Sin unto death. What, what the world? What, why don't y'all say that? What the world? What the world is, John? What is, what is sin not unto death? What is sin unto death? And, and, and why does this just jump in there when all of a sudden almost out of nowhere? Well, 
verse 14 and 15, which we spent three weeks in, is about what? I think I could probably answer that. I'm going to... That's right. Prayer and his will, knowing his will and prayer. So the context for verse 16 is intended to be an example of here's something that you you can know how to pray in God's will, or here's something for prayer that is in God's will. That's what verse 16 is intended to be, as confusing as it may seem uh, to us. In order to uh, arrive at an understanding or an interpretation of verse 16, we have to ask some questions. So we are going to do that this morning. I'm going to to give you some questions. I'm going to show you the questions. And then I will go back and answer those questions in reverse order in just a moment. We're going to start with this question. We read the text, verse 16, particularly verse 16. We're going to start with this question. Is John talking about physical death or spiritual death? So when John says, if, if you see a brother, we'll get that in a minute. If you see a brother uh, committing a sin not unto death, so he mentions sin not unto death, and then he mentions sin unto death. So John, are, are you talking about a physical death? Are you talking about God uh, 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 taking the life of a physical life of a person because of a sin or sins that they commit? Or are you talking about uh, spiritually a person spiritually dead and being rejected by God because of a sin or sins in their life? John, is this physical death or is this spiritual death? That probably, from our perspective, is the most important question to answer. Second question is this. Is John talking about a specific sin? That's kind of a pretty important one, too, that you may have been thinking about. Well, oh, well, what ones? What, what, are the, what are the sins that I better not commit? Is there a list of specific sins that we should avoid at all cost, lest it cost us all? So, John, do you, do you, are there certain things you, you actually specifically have in mind when you say this sin not unto death and this sin unto death? And then the third question, is John still talking about a brother when he refers to sin unto death. Are y'all looking at, you're looking at verse 16 probably, if you're looking at that text. In, verse, in the first part of verse 16, John says, if, if you or if anyone sees a brother, meaning a fellow follower of Jesus Christ, a man, woman, it, it's just, if any of you should see a brother, he's not necessarily talking about a biological brother, unless he happened to be a brother in Christ as well. But a brother, clearly his implication is, or his intention is, someone who is a fellow believer of Jesus Christ. If you see a fellow believer in Jesus Christ sinning a sin not unto death. So he's clearly talking about a fellow believer when he refers to the sin not unto death. The question is, is he still referring to a believer when he, a little farther below in in the same verse, but he he mentions a sin unto death because he doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't say a brother again. He doesn't repeat the phrase. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the question. Is, is the sin not unto death? That's clearly intended for a brother. We're supposed to pray for them. And when he says, you might as well not even bother praying for a sin unto death, is, is that talking about a brother as well? That's an important question to answer because it has been suggested that since he doesn't use the phrase uh, a brother again, that, that he's not talking about a fellow uh, believer when he talks about the sin unto death. So how you understand that and answer that question can have a big implication on how you interpret this text. All right? All right. We're going to attempt to answer the questions. And as I said a moment ago, I'm going to do it in reverse order because 
how you understand the last question has a significant impact on how you understand the first question. All right? So the, the last question was, is John still talking about a brother when he refers to sin unto death? The short answer is yes. I believe that John is still referring to a fellow believer in Jesus Christ when he begins to discuss the sin unto death. The reason I believe that that is the the case, the reason I believe that he's still referring to a fellow believer in Christ when he talks about the sin unto death is because there is nothing, as I read it, and and again, you may arrive at something, but as I read it, there's nothing that contextually changes as you read verse 16, that would cause me to believe, oh, now he's talking about somebody different. Now he's talking about an unbeliever. You understand what I'm saying? Nothing contextually changes from the beginning of verse 16 to the end of verse 16. Therefore, I believe that in both the sin not unto death and the sin unto death, he is referring to a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer. Okay. Second question. Is John talking about a specific sin? In other words, are, is, are there certain things that we, can, that we can be guilty of that would cause us to, to uh, receive the judgment of God and, and it lead to death, physical or spiritual? We'll deal with that in a moment. But is there a certain sin or specific sins? Is there a list? The Catholic Church has a list. Uh, and I think predominantly based on this passage of Scripture where they developed that idea. They have a, a list of what they refer to as mortal sins and venial sins. Mortal sins or deadly sins, a specific list, and venial or non-deadly sins. Uh, that that you, If you get those, you can get out of them. You might get out of the other ones too. If you, no, I'm not going to say that. That's, that would be bad. That would be bad. Um, so, is there a specific list? No. No, I, I, it is my, it's my understanding that there's not, it is not, John's not referring sp- to a specific list. For one reason, nowhere in this letter, nowhere in his other letters, and as far as I can think, nowhere in his gospel letter, does John ever refer to a, a list of, of sins unto death or sins not unto death. And I just got to tell you, it just seems like that would be like the mother of all cliffhangers to say, hey, hey, there is a list out there that if you send these, whoo, it's, it's over for you. And it is nothing. <laughs> right? It's like, whoo, that would, it just, it doesn't seem like John introduces this, that it would, that it would be a specific list. It doesn't, it, I can't find anywhere where, where he lists that. Now, let me say this. It is true that there are certain sins that God refers to as abominations. Okay? There are certain sins that God refers to as abominations. But if you, if you look at all of them, it's pretty wide. It, it, it's anything from, from homosexuality, uh, transgender stuff, to lying or, being, uh, or treating people unfairly. So, in a sense... All sin is an abomination to a holy God. All sin is an affront to a holy God. So, a sin? And, and the truth is, all sin, any sin, is a sin unto death if, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, if a person has never 
given their life, committed their life to Jesus Christ, any sin, all sin, one sin, is a sin unto death for them. Okay? All right. So, uh, third question, and as I said, maybe the most important in our minds, maybe the most important question, is John talking about physical death or is he talking about spiritual death? Is John saying that a person can commit a sin uh, of such a grievous nature that God would, would physically take them out? Or is he saying that a person, because of their sin, because of the, the nature of their sin or, the, or the, 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 the severity of their sin, that uh, that person who is, who, by the way, if you're, if you're not in Christ, you're, you're already dead in your sins. That's what Scripture says, dead in our trespasses and sins. You're already dead in your sins. So is he saying that that person has committed a sin that, that God will not forgive, that, God, that they have no chance, no hope, they have sinned unto death and, and it's over for them, uh, they have no help, or even as some people believe, even a person who has obtained uh, eternal life has had a relationship to God, but it is taken away from them because of the severity of their sin, so that they therefore no longer have eternal life. Is John talking about physical death? Is John talking about spiritual death? It is my conviction that John is talking about physical death. My reasoning is simple. Because I believe, are y'all still with me? Good, I'm glad some of us are, because I'm not, no. Because, here's, here's my reasoning for why I believe that John is talking about a physical death and not a spiritual death. Because I believe, the answer to the third question that I asked was, is John still talking about a believer when he talks about sin unto death? And I gave you some reason for that. Because I believe that he is still talking about a believer when he refers to sin unto death, right? He's talking about a believer when he talks about sin not unto death. He's talking about a believer when he talks about sin unto death. Because I believe that, I believe that he's talking about a physical death. Why? Because a believer cannot experience spiritual death. A, a bedrock principle of, of, the, of the Orthodox Church is that a person who enters into a relationship with Jesus Christ cannot lose that relationship with Jesus Christ because it was never theirs to earn. It was never theirs to hold on to. It was the gift of God that he gave to us and therefore that person uh, could never lose it in the first place. You understand? It must be a physical, in my opinion, it must be a physical death because it is impossible for a believer to experience spiritual death. You can't be unborn again once you've been born again. In fact, John, this this same writer, John, says these most beautiful words straight from the mouth of Jesus. John chapter 5, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has Notice the present continuous tense has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Now, clearly he's talking about a spiritual thing there, isn't he? Because we know physically we do still die. So, so clearly here he's talking about a spiritual life and, a, and, and spiritual death has eternal life and does not come in judgment, but has passed out of death into life. John himself, again, in this very letter, Six times in First John alone, John makes reference to eternal life. Excuse me for stating the obvious, but it ain't eternal if you can lose it. Do you understand? 
It isn't eternal life if you can lose it. So, with that in mind, with the answer to those three questions, and with the questions themselves and, and my understanding of the answers, here's what I believe that John is saying to us in this passage and in regards uh, to prayer. We all sin, right? We, we still sin. Even after we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we sin. Would you, would you admit that? Would you, are you willing to agree that? Salvation, while still in this world, while still in this physical body, salvation brings adoption, but it does not bring perfection. It does not bring me to the place where I reach sinless perfection this side of eternity. In fact, John uh, is not hesitant at all to remind us of that. It, it, earlier in this, uh, in this book, in chapter 1, you remember these words? He said, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth, what? The truth is not in us. So, so we do still sin. John makes that clear, right? But if you've been in this series, you know that John also makes clear that we should not continue to sin. In other words, we should not stay in a practice of sin. That if I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ because the Spirit lives in me, He now brings conviction. He now wants to draw out change in me so that I begin to act in the way that God would desire for me to act because I want to honor and please Him and because I've been blood-bought because His Spirit dwells within me. Okay? So, we know we do still sin. But we also know that John says, but we ought to be moving out of sin. We ought to be sinning uh, uh, less as we come into this relationship uh, with God. Here's the way he puts it, First John, in this very passage we read, in just in verse 18. We know that no one who is born of God sins. We've already talked about this earlier in the, past, in the, in the text or in, in this book, but he's not saying no one sins, period. He's saying no one remains in this lifestyle of sin, this practice of sin, this this. this I don't care. It's just my life. I'll do what I want with it kind of thing. We, we, don't, we don't do that anymore. In, in chapter 3 and verse 9, he said this. He said, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are what? They are children of God. So this change should be taking place in us. And as I've said many times, we won't be sinless, but we should sin less. Because he's bringing change to me. And, and hopefully the longer I live and the more I'm with Jesus, I'll never reach perfection. As I understand scripture, I'll never reach perfection, this side of glory. But the more I walk with him, the more I know him, the more he uh, works in my heart and life, hopefully the more I'm able to move away from things that, that used to be my besetting sins or, or turn, giving into this. Or, or You understand what I'm saying? Okay. We do still sin, but we shouldn't make a practice of sin. Now, would you all agree that God, at times in our lives, has to bring correction? That he has to, because of something that we allow to happen, because of an attitude, because of an action, that God sometimes has to bring discipline into our life. Like, and I I say this all the time, I use an analogy all the time, like any loving parent would do. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12 For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So, what I believe that John is saying here is that 
that God disciplines his children. He, does, he knows we still sin, but he wants us moving away from sin. He doesn't want the practice of sin in our lives. And in certain situations, because of the attitude towards sin, or perhaps because even of the, 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 the destructive nature of a sin for an individual believer or for the body of Christ... God's discipline may have to take extreme measures, including the possibility of taking a person, a part of the family of God, taking them out of this world as a result of sin that they've allowed to come into their lives. So that's why I think John uses his example for prayers. He says, listen, you, you got to pray. For, you find somebody that, that's in sin. You find somebody that, that's allowed something to come into life or they're beginning to just, man, they're just toying with it a little bit. They're just, and y'all know, right? Y'all hear? They're just a little bit. And, and, and John says, pray for them. Why? Because it is God's will that they come under conviction. It is God's will that they turn from sin. It is God's will that we repent and say, God, man, I, I messed up. God, would you forgive me? I want to turn away from that. that is God's will. And so he says, pray that. Pray that for them. Well, what, what, what if we don't know about, about somebody's sin? Or what if we don't know about it until it's too late? Obviously, if, if someone is involved, a fellow believer is involved in a sinful practice, a sinful lifestyle, some sin at all in their life, and we don't know about it, obviously we cannot pray for them in regards to that sin. But can I tell you this? We could fix that one. We could fix that one if we just submit it to, to James' spirit-filled counsel. James chapter 5, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Notice the connection Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. He's not being sexist. It's just, it's just he's using the masculine uh, pronoun there. But of, of, any, of any believer can accomplish much. So he says, man, pray for him. You see somebody, you know somebody in sin, pray for them, lift them up because, because God hears those prayers. He wants to bring repentance into their life. He wants them to change and be different as a result of, of the Spirit bringing conviction into their life. So you pray for that person. But it could be. And, I, and I'm just telling you, I, I have had to, I don't like doing it. I've never enjoyed doing it. Some people do, I think. Some people, pastors are like, oh, I can't wait to jump in that guy's business. I, 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 don't, I don't enjoy having to confront people about sin. But as a pastor, I have at times had to confront people about a sin practice in their life. And oftentimes the reaction is, is arrogant, prideful. I don't, I don't care. I don't care what you think. This is what I want to do. I, I, I had a person tell me one time, I don't care. God will just have to forgive me. Or as one gentleman said, I don't care what the Bible says. Now listen, I'll leave it to God to decide whether a person is genuinely a believer or not a believer, but the point is, am, am I willing to, to pray for them when I know of a situation in their life? And I know we don't like this because nobody likes their dirty laundry hung out for the whole world to see. But I'll bet we would see amazing things happen in this fellowship if we were willing to say, Tom, would you, would you pray for me? I, I, I am not being the man of God in my house that, I, that God wants me to be and that my family needs me to be. Would you pray for me? Hey, hey, Shannon, would, would you lift me up? I, I am not submitting to the authority of my husband in my home, and I know that means I'm not submitting to God's authority, and I'm not honoring God. Would you, would you pray for me? 
Hey, would you pray for me? I, I, I am so tempted to, to, to have sex with my boyfriend and I know God wants me to save that for marriage. Would you pray for me? Hey, would, would you pray that I stop making excuses every time God gives me an opportunity to, to say something about him or, or to get a word in about the Lord and, and, I, and I make up some excuse or I chicken out? Or would you pray that God would give me a boldness because I'm not, I'm not sharing my faith like I should? Hey, I, 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 I'm not honoring God with my financial resources. Would you pray for me? Because I know that's a faith issue in my life. Would, would you pray for me that, that, I, that, I would, that I would respond to that? I, I, know, I, know we, I know we don't like the idea of that. I'm saying, hey, man, listen, I, I, I'm ashamed to even tell you this, but listen, I, I, I'm addicted to porn. And, and it just started so innocently, and, 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 but now I can't, I, can't, I can't get away from it. Would you pray for me? I just believe that we would see God do amazing things if we confessed our sins to one another so that we could pray for one another. That's what I think John is saying. That's why I think he uses this as as an example of prayer, because there may come a place where God has to take somebody out because their refusal to turn away from the sin and because perhaps of the damage that it's doing to the body of Christ. Some of us, some of us slightly older folks grew up in a time where we spent a significant portion of our free time outside. <laughs> I know, I know, right? How barbaric. I, outside. But believe it or not, before the days of, of Netflix and video games and Snapchat and whatever else, you, before those days, people actually went outside. And did stuff. And when you was a kid, you'd go out and you'd play in, uh, in your yard or, or in some of your friend's yard. You'd go out there and play, right? And when you go out there and play in, in your yard, you know, you, you kind of feel like that you are somehow uh, away from the, the supervision of your parents. Now, eventually, you learn that you're never out of the all-seeing eye of your mom. But you kind of feel that way. And so you, you get, you're out there and you're playing in the, neighborhood, uh, playing in the yard with the kid, your friends. And sooner or later, you, you get into a tiff with your friends about something, right? It happens, right? You get into a fight, you do this or that, whatever. And your mom sees it and she's going to do one or two things. She's going to open the back, uh, the kitchen window, the back uh, kitchen window, or she's going to come to the front door. And she's going to say, Clay Stevens, stop, you stop that right now. Y- yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But you don't. You go right back to it, right? You get, because you're not going to let them win or you're going to whatever. And, and, and she sees it again a second time and she opens the window or she comes to the front door and she says, Clay Stevens, I told you to stop that. You do it again. You got to come home. Sometimes maybe you listened. Sometimes you didn't. And if you didn't, and she found out, and she did, she opened the window or she opened the door and she says, Clay Stevens, that's it. Get your stuff together. You got to come inside. You got to come home. And maybe your friends at that moment even tried to intervene for you, right? Oh, Mrs. Stevens, he won't, he won't do it. He'll, he won't do it again, I promise. We're all right. He won't do it again. And I don't know, there must be some universal school that moms go to because they always give the same answer. They always say the same thing. I'm sorry, boys, but I didn't raise my son to act that way. He's got to come home now. I think, I think it's possible 
because we are never out of God's presence and his knowledge of our life, that there could come a time where God says to a person, that's it. You've been unwilling to turn. You've been unwilling to move away from this. I love you too much, and I love my body too much to allow you to continue to do this. That's it. You've got, you got to come home. Now, now listen. I, I mean, you're saying, well, <laughs> get to go to heaven. That's a pretty good deal. I'm telling you, you don't want to arrive under those conditions because you will have missed whatever all God wanted to do in and through you in this life and whatever rewards, whatever all that means in eternity that God desires to give to his children who are faithful to serve him in this life. There may come a point where God says to a person, may or may not be because of a specific sin, but more than anything, that's because an approach to sin or an attitude towards sin that says, I, I don't, I, I, I'm enjoying this or I like this or I don't care. I'm not going to move away from this. I'm going to continue to be engaged in that. Or God may have to say, you got to come. By the way, there is biblical precedent for this. It doesn't happen often. But in Numbers chapter 16, God opened up the earth and swallowed up Korah and all of those who were with him because they, they were coming against God's man, God's leader. They were coming against God's leadership and God took them out. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, this, this sweet couple in the church, I'm sure they were, gave... Listen, they gave a portion of the proceeds from the sale of a piece of property. They gave it as a, a love offering. This wasn't a, this wasn't a tithe. Relax. This was a love offering that they gave. They gave a portion of it, which was not the sin, by the way. It wasn't a sin that they wanted to keep some of the profit from sale of a piece of property that they had. That, that, that wasn't the sin. The sin was that they wanted to act like and tell everybody that they had sacrificed and given every bit of what they had, all the, man, we gave it all. And when they were given the chance to repent, to, to tell the truth by Peter, when Peter says, did, did you, and they're, oh, oh yeah, we gave every bit of it, dropped dead on the spot. So y'all better hope it's not a specific list of sins. That's not, so. We all better hope that. No, listen to me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is given instructions about the Lord's Supper and what's to be done and how you conduct it. The Lord's Supper, okay, this institution that we do in the church. And he begins to talk about people who are, who are Paul says that they're treating it in an unworthy manner. And you can go back and read 1 Corinthians 11 and get a context of kind of what all he might be talking about that they're doing there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, he says, For this reason many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you sleep. And just to be clear, he's not saying they took an Ambien. God took them out. Took them out. Because of, because of the irreverence, because of the selfishness. And you can go back and read 1 Corinthians 11, what all they were, they were doing in that. Listen. The point is, God is life and sin is death. God is always trying to take us to, 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 to a better place. He's always trying to take us to something better. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, individually, collectively. God is always trying to take us to something better. God is life and sin is death. And you and I have to learn that. Proverbs chapter 12 says this. In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. How? In the way of righteousness, in the way of sinlessness. Living my life with a desire to not make a habit of sin or a practice of sin. 
Jesus said this in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy, a.k.a. death. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 6, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is life and sin is death. And whatever it is that you and I may be tempted to toy with or mess with or just dabble with a little bit or I'm just, you know, or yeah, I know I gave in that time, but I'm going to be all right. I'm going to tell you something. Just just those three examples we looked at of biblical cases where God took people out who were, who were professing to be his children. And I'm assuming were. Just those three examples should get every single one of us a reason to pause and think about our life and what we, what we perhaps sometimes overlook or allow to come in and bypass. And I'm just telling you, in the end, even, even if God doesn't take you out because you make some practice of some sin, and I can't tell you when he does it, I'm just, I'm just showing you some examples. Even if he doesn't, you lose. You lose every time when you choose sin. It, it, it it, it never fulfills, it never gets there, which is the next part that we need to discuss, but that's for another day. God really is life, and sin is death in your life. And, I, you know, all of us at any point, but whether you're 8 or 80, temptation comes, right? Our, our flesh, the world, Satan is always pulling us toward a, a, an an action that is not honoring to God. And you and I, if we truly are children of the living God, should be praying for one another. God, bring conviction to Clay that, that, he, wouldn't, that he wouldn't mess with that anymore. Clay, uh, God, change Clay's heart about this, that, 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 he would, that he would move away from that practice in his life. God, cause him to be repentant because he sees his own sinfulness and his, and his need for a Savior. God, send the Holy Spirit to work in her life in such a powerful way that she can't get away from you, that this would not turn into a practice in her life. God is life, and sin is death. As Pastor Clay explained today, there may be some mystery in prayer, and there may be some waiting for God's timing, and we certainly need to truly understand what God's will is. But our prayers do matter. God wants us to pray, and He uses our prayers to accomplish His purposes. We may not have all knowledge as God has, but we can trust Him with the outcome as we surrender our will to God's will. One thing we can know for sure, God's intended will is always for our good. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens and the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Rollins, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.